Welcome to the AASA PDK Decennial Survey Podcast Series, where we take a look at a variety of issues affecting school system leadership nationwide. During the second episode of this mini-series, CEO of PDK International, Josh Starr, will be speaking with Drs. Carol Kelly, Deborah Kerr, and Almi Abeda on a conversation about women in leadership. I want to welcome you all to our podcast series, which is a joint partnership between AASA and PDK. I am Josh Starr. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of PDK International, a former superintendent of schools. And we work this year with AASA um, on the the Great Decennial Survey, um, which has just been released. And we're doing a podcast series uh, with superintendents and some former superintendents to kind of tease out the issues Um, that we're facing in public education system leadership these days. So today, we are really excited to talk with three great women leaders in the superintendency who have distinguished themselves in their careers. Um, And I think we'll really uh, be able to provide some insight into what it means to be a a woman leading in in the top position. So um, I'm going to let everybody introduce themselves. We have Deb Kerr, we have Ami Abeda, and we have Carol Kelly. So let's start with Deb. And then we'll do Ami and then uh, and then Carol. So, Deb. Thank you, Josh, and welcome to my panelists today. It's exciting to see everyone and be together. Um, I think this is an important topic um, to promote women in leadership. And my career revolves around having lots of experiences in being promoted as a woman in leadership. And so, I was the first woman principal, the first woman superintendent, and so and it goes kind of on and on. But it's the last of the first. So I just want you to know that. But I'm um, parochial educated. I've worked in all sectors of education. I've dedicated the last 34 years of my life to public education. And I've been a superintendent in the state of Wisconsin for the last 20 years. My previous district is Brown Deer School District, uh, which is the most diverse school district in the state of Wisconsin, serving over 80% students of color and 50% economically disadvantaged. I've enjoyed working with my colleagues at every level from the state level and especially at the AASA because I believe that it's important that we continue to network and share our journeys and work together. So I'm very honored to be here today. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Deb. It's great to have you on here. Almi, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you come from, and what the district you're leading right now. Sure. Uh, my name is Almi Beta, and I am currently the superintendent of Chelsea, Massachusetts. My leadership journey, as I started off, this is very, very traditional. I am I, I still say I am a kindergarten teacher, always will be, and that's a very unusual step for a superintendent, but uh, I started off my journey as a kindergarten teacher and then went straight from teaching kindergarten to my master's degree program for school leadership straight into the principalship without any assistant principalship, anything else in between. I was a very young principal in the Boston Public Schools. I was all maybe 30 years old and one of the only Latinas in in the Boston Public Schools as a principal. And then my leadership journey kind of took me, I I say I was an assistant superintendent, deputy superintendent for 10 years. I was like deputy superintendent in waiting. I uh, was assistant superintendent deputy in three different districts. I learned a ton. I would use that time. I say mom first. So I was raising my child. And I always said, when I'm ready to really marry a community, I will become the superintendent. So when my daughter ventured off to college, I decided it was time for me to lead and really lead. So that's when I ended up applying to the superintendency. 
in um, Chelsea, Massachusetts. Uh, and I'm just honored and grateful to be here with this wonderful panel. Thank you. And you just hit on like three different themes that we're going to be coming back to, right? So okay. we'll talk about that in a sec. Carol, tell us a little bit about where you are and your, and, and your journey there. Absolutely. First, thanks you so much for having me on the panel. I'm super excited to learn from my colleagues today and to participate. Uh, so I'm Carol Kelly. I have the pleasure of serving uh, currently as superintendent of Oak Park Elementary School District 97, uh, which is a pre-K through 8 uh, public school uh, system here in Oak Park, Illinois. We have approximately 5,800 students. We lost give or take about three to 4% this year um, since the start of the pandemic. And prior to joining uh, District 97, I'm completing my sixth year now as superintendent. I also spent three years as superintendent of schools back in New Jersey for Branchburg Township School District. The majority of my career in education um, has been in New Jersey prior to coming here in Illinois. And uh, unlike my, my pan other panelists, um, I came into education in a really alternate um, pathway. Mm -hmm. So my undergraduate degree, honestly, I'm a systems engineer and uh, that's what I studied uh, undergraduate. And I also have uh, an MBA um, from University of uh, Virginia. Uh, so it was a really, uh, interesting alternate path um, into the field of uh, education. I feel though um, that this is my home. I have a really deep commitment uh, to equity-centered systems um, to change and address the racial, the economic, the academic disparities that we often find in, in education. So uh, once again, I'm really excited to be here today to discuss the, the study um, and also to learn from uh, my other panelists. Well, that's great. So thank you all. Um, and I, I also want to acknowledge just so, so I'm a man and I'm talking to three women uh, about leadership, right? So it is pretty much guaranteed that I will ask questions that um, if you were less polite, you would roll your eyes at and be like, well, yeah, of course we go through that kind of stuff. But I also <laughs> want to, I think it's also important that people um, understand, you know, the, the, the challenges and, and, and the opportunities uh, that exists when, when, when you're a woman in leadership. And so I may be asking some of those questions to kind of get them out there. So the first one though, I just, from my experience, and I think we've seen, we saw some of this in the, in the data as well. Women tend to get into the superintendency after going, be, being in the instructional side, right? Like women are more naturally seen as instructional leaders. Men are more naturally seen as operations leaders, right? And being able to, to, to manage that side. First, I first want to understand, A, have you seen that in your own careers? And then B, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And any of you can go. I mean, I can call on you individually, but whoever wants to jump. So, so is that, is, have you experienced that, that women tend to be pigeonholed as instructional leaders, whereas men are, are seen as, as being more system leaders and, and have the, the whole, and you know, particularly finance. And then you think it's a good thing or a bad thing. So who wants to go first? I, I can, mm -hmm. it's fine. Um, well, you know, that's an interesting thought because as I look at some of my former colleagues that have been superintendents, they have come through traditional roles of football coach, athletic director, and then principal, um, superintendent. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, that definitely wasn't my trajectory, but I was an athletic director, I was a principal, but I was never a curriculum director, but I just loved learning and I loved kids. And um, I just think today, any leader, no matter what level you're at, whether you're a superintendent or a principal, you need to be an instructional leader. 
because our kids and our teachers need that support uh, in a leader. And you need to know how to have the kind of conversations and support them in their, in their role because education is a tough job. And I think if we've learned anything from this pandemic, our teachers have a um, greater appreciation, I think, from our parents of all the work that they have done just to get through this uh, virtual learning as best they could, raise their own families. But um, they teach more than just content. They teach kids how to be great people, respect, responsible citizens, and how to make a contribution and have a voice in their learning. So I think we can do better, but it's not, tra it's not traditional, as traditional as it used to be. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, personally, it is the reason why I wanted to uh, get into uh, educational leadership from an instructional standpoint. Um, I did serve as, uh, uh, you know, in, on the curriculum side. Um, and honestly, it could be based on that interest. When I think of my male colleagues that are sitting in this seat, they uh, have similar backgrounds as well, either curriculum or maybe instructional technology. However, I, I will say that even though that definitely should be the strength, there are many other strengths too uh, that are really necessary, part of our skill set or our toolbox that we have to have as superintendents. Uh, the ability to connect with and inspire other people, the, the ability to communicate your vision, the business savviness, the operational leadership, the equity lens, the public, you know, advocacy. I think the list goes on and on and on, but I, I could not agree more with, with Deb that, you know, that instructional leader, um, leadership lens really has to be the forefront because of the work that we do on behalf of the students that we have the privilege of serving. And I, I agree with both. Um, I think that I believe in the early 2000s, even when I was studying to be a principal, there was this whole shift of principals have to be instructional leaders. And it was like this new thing. And I was like, well, that's great because that's, that's me. And, and it, it slowly, I think, shifted to the superintendency as well. We are the lead learners of our school system. And I mean, just today I was sitting in a progress monitoring meeting, although over Zoom, and the teachers were saying, oh, it's so nice to be talking about instruction because lately during the pandemic, what we've been focused on, at least for me, is, is a lot of operational things. And then I, I go home and I'm like, why am I so exhausted? And why is it so foreign to me? Because I'm talking about COVID-19 poll testi uh, testing, I'm talking about vaccinations and all the operational stuff that I did not go into education to do and that's not my thing and I'm like oh when I get to actually talk about instruction I'm like oh yeah this is great this is why I do what I do and this is what I'm most familiar with and it's like putting on an old shoe and I'm like oh but we've just been so busy with ops lately and crisis management that um it's today even just today being like able to re-engage the instructional side of who I am as a leader was so important. And so I do think that there's been this whole shift to make sure from superintendents to principals that we are leading instruction and we know instruction. And I, I do agree that that's been the shift over the last, probably since the early 2000s, I'd say. I, I told one of my, one of my mentors is, you, you know, about Peter and I said, you, you didn't teach us about health insurance and transportation. Right. <laughs> And those are the two things that were killing me. But I guess, and, and I, I don't want to make assumptions, but 
Is there is there a credibility issue when it comes to the operations side, right? I feel like, and again, it, 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 I may be reading into this, so tell me if I'm wrong, but that oftentimes men are seen by school boards and are seen by the community as having some credibility in the operations side that women sometimes struggle with because of the, the assumption that they're more on the instructional side. Have you encountered that at all? Or is that just, I'm, I'm just making that up. I, you know, I personally have not encountered it. it I, uh, prior to coming into education, you know, came from, you know, the, the business sector. I have not um, heard from my female colleagues, you know, and, and Deb and Ami, maybe you could chime in here, the, the confidence that we carry um, at the board table or in the community. Um, I, I, I definitely feel that, you know, my female colleagues can go toe to toe uh, with any of our, our male colleagues. So I, I've not personally encountered. Oh, I, let me be clear. I know they can go toe to toe. It's whether yeah. a school board, right? Yeah, I've, the community I've not, thinks yeah. That. Yeah, yeah, I've not encountered that. All right. And what about Almi or Deb? Have you ever encountered that at all? I, ha I have not. And I also think when you look at my cabinet, when I first got here, we're mostly women. Mm -hmm. And then my school committee is mostly women as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's there as there's a confidence there. And as a, as a principal, you have to deal with operations every day. And that's the best training ground, I think, for the superintendency. And you're dealing with so much. And you just, you scale it up when you become a superintendent. So you've already, if, if, like I say, if you've already been a principal, it's like you've dealt with so much already. Uh, best training ground, I think, for the superintendency. So I actually felt very um, confident in that area. And um, I didn't feel like I was lacking. Right. Mm -hmm. I think the area where it really shows up is school finance and um, and learning and understanding the relationships between you know, the, the numbers and um, the school funding formulas. And so I think any superintendent who has not been uh, involved in school finance deeply, um, I am an instructor of school finance at one of our local universities here, Cardinal Stritch. Um, that's a challenge for anyone. Yeah. But the great mm -hmm. thing is um, organizations like our AASA or our state organizations have lots of support uh, programs and networks and cohorts help lead the way. And so I have to go back to the membership uh, programs that our AASA has to support aspiring principals, aspiring superintendents into these roles so that you know how to tackle some of these things that might not be your strength right now, but will be a strength later as you gain more experience. Yep, I love the plugs for ASA programming that go in there. It's doing a good job with that, Deb. Um, so, so let me ask about this, right? So on, on one hand, you look at the fact that there are more women superintendents than there are women leaders in corporate America, which is, which is a great thing. But that also may just reflect the numbers, right? 80% of teachers um, are, are women. So why aren't we seeing more? Like, what, what is keeping more women from getting to the top job, even though it may be greater than other sectors? Is it, what, what do you think is behind that? Who wants to start with Amanda? I can start. Yeah, I think one thing is, is, is confidence and, and being pushed in that area. A lot of women don't, don't put themselves out there, and it's just natural. So a lot of times women who have come into leadership positions, our superintendent roles have been promoted like 
you're really good. I'm going to move you to an assistant superintendent, for example. And so they've had someone to kind of push them along the way, or they've been deputy superintendent, superintendent leaves, and then the they get put as superintendent. So I think a lot of it is, as women, we, I, I'll speak for myself as a Latina woman, I haven't always, I, I'm not good at asserting myself. It's something I've had to learn over the years and, and to put myself out there. And so I think it's something that you have to be encouraged to do and, so you, and someone, people around you say, you can do this. Like my mentor, Dr. Bob Peterkin from the Urban Superintendents Program, he always believed that one day I would be a superintendent when I, even when I was a principal and came to his program and I was like, yeah, right, Bob, uh, you know, I'll believe, I'll believe it someday. I'm, I'm glad you have more belief in me than I do. And, and he, he always uh, lifted me up. So I think for us as women, we just have to lift other people up, other women up and say, you, you can do this and, and, and mentor those. Uh, we have a responsibility, I think, to mentor people so that way we can pour in and create more opportunities for women of color, women in general. Mm -hmm. I, Carol, Deb, what do you think? I totally agree. It's so funny that you mentioned Bob's name because <laughs> I've, he spoke that life into me as well. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, I also wonder from, you know, uh, if a barrier might be uh, to get into leadership positions, you, you know, you need to go back to school. Um, you need to get the licensure. So I often wonder, like, might that be a barrier? Um, and then, mm -hmm. like, what are the ways that school districts, you know, might create uh, practices or procedures where they're providing, like, the financial in incentives? I know that a lot of people, a lot of districts will offer reimbursement if you're doing coursework that leads to something like what, what you're currently doing, but perhaps they can think of course. Re, the, that reimbursement uh, for courses that might lead to some leadership positions. You know, when I began teaching, I already had my MBA in New Jersey. For others, that might be a burden to them. Um, it may be a burden, you know, in terms of like their life trajectory and what, the, you know, what else is happening in their life personally. Um, so like, what are the ways maybe that districts or even states can create cohorts, mm -hmm. you know, where your learning is taking place like right after work, like right on the campus uh, where you work. Um, so I think it's really necessary for us to um, really examine like what might be the barriers um, that are preventing, you know, like you said, they're 80% of our workforce are female. Um, so even though we have more women in leadership positions than the SMP, like, you know, honestly, just 25%, really? Uh, so there, there obviously are barriers that we need to examine. Yeah, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, and I agree with Carol uh, with the barriers and, and Almi too with the confidence because I was tapped on the shoulder by my mentor, Dan, Dr. Dan Burke. And mm -hmm. I said, are you talking to me? I, I'm like, are you, what? You want you think I should be a superintendent, and I think it's that confidence piece that Almi talks about. That sometimes we don't value our skills enough um, as a leader uh, to take it to the next level. And the research has shown that women typically don't apply for jobs if they don't have every single qualification, you know, mastered on the job description. And so we've got to stop that. We've got to encourage our um, fellow women to go for it. 
uh, to put yourself out there because every um, interview is a learning experience. And you might not know all the answers, but you certainly know how to get the answers or learn something new or, or figure out who to go to to find out more information. So I just think it's important that we continue to intentionally uh, tap people on the shoulder like we have been uh, tapped on the shoulder as well. Yeah, Deb, it's so, I'm so glad you brought that up. I remember when I was superintendent in Stanford, and I was young, I was 35 when I started, and my deputy, um, who, uh, she was probably, she was much older than I was, and she told me about this. She was like, you know, the thing, mm -hmm. I said, well, how come, you know, you haven't been superintendent yet? She actually became superintendent after me. She's like, look, women tend to wait until they check every box. It says, whereas men just jump mm -hmm. in. I was right. sort of that guy just just jumped in. But, but so, and building on that too, let, let's talk a little bit about, the family dynamics, and and I think it's probably an obvious question, but I, I wonder, I'm wondering what to do about it. So again, when I when I became superintendent at 35, I had two young kids. I had another one a couple of years after that. Well, my, my wife had them. You get my point. Mm -hmm. um, I was commuting. No one ever questioned what you know how I was being superintendent at school, whether I should be superintendent of schools and spend. Um, you know, you, you know the demands and during the days and the nights and all that um, and having young children. And I, this is obvious, an obvious question, but like, I'm assuming if I were a woman, it, there would have been much greater scrutiny around that. Um, so A, have you experienced that at all? And B, like, what do we do about that? How do we get, I mean, I know it happens in the workplace, but like, what should we be doing about that in public school systems so that we don't, so that it's not seen as a barrier and it's also not looked upon askance if you do, you know, have young kids and want to be a superintendent. So I don't know. Mm. Almi, let's start with you because you brought that up earlier that it was a consideration. How do we, how do we, how do we deal with this factor? Well, I mean, even since the time I was a principal, my daughter was a kid. I remember this. My daughter went into kindergarten when I became a principal, was asked to be a principal. And I remember telling my deputy superintendent, I don't think I can be a principal. I have a five-year-old and how am I, how am I going to be mom and principal at the same time? And I, I figured it out. I, I, I moved to the neighborhood where I was principal and I had my daughter in my school with me. So she didn't get left behind and she was always with me. We drove into school together. She was there and it was beautiful. And that's how I was able to do it. Um, so I don't feel like I missed out on my daughter's childhood. And and then as an assistant superintendent, I, I, I saw my superintendents giving so much of their time. And I thought, I, I'm, I'm just not ready for that kind of like that commitment. And I stayed in the assistant superintendency for a while. And then when my daughter finally took off to college, I was like, okay, it's time for me to fly. Maybe I should apply for a superintendency. But then I was also waiting for the right fit. I wanted to be in urban education. I wanted to be in a predominantly Latino community. And, and so I was just waiting for the right fit because I had learned enough in the assistant superintendency that you're also interviewing where you go. It, you know, I can, I can select where I want to be and I want to be in a place where I can be successful. But I, I, for me, what worked for me was the assistant superintendent role until my daughter took off to college. Um, I just, I was committed to being a mom and I didn't want to miss an ice skating competition or a dance competition. I think I wrote my dissertation because I worked full time while I was working on my dissertation in the ice skating rink. Literally, I would sit there and type away while my daughter was ice skating or I was in the dance 
the, and the, you know, I, I remember sitting in the dance foyer where all the moms were sitting and I would just, they yeah, probably right. thought I was rude, but I would be working on my dissertation. Right. And, and, and that I just, you just learned as a woman, I think as a mom, you learn to multitask and you just learn to do it, whether it's writing in the car or whatever. So you it's just, some of the best preparation for the superintendency. And yeah, stuff, right? you figure it out. Yeah, you tune yeah. out the noise and you start writing. My best writing was in the ice skating rink. So, I, I mean, I just say that because I think as a mom, you become very, uh, like, you can multitask and, yep. and, um, and you just figure it out. Yeah. So, I don't know, Deb, Carol, have you seen it at all? And again, I'm, I'm also wondering about what we can do so that to kind of change the narrative around it so that mm-hmm. so that women don't see it as a as 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 a something that should keep them from aspiring to the top job and, and learn yeah. what, what what do you have to say uh, well, so go ahead, go ahead carol no you go <laughs> okay um what i have seen too there's just a lot of myths and mm-hmm. misperceptions about women uh in their role as a leader let's face it women are the caregivers of their families in most of the cases and you know what we've learned through this pandemic is that some of our women um, parents and had to quit their jobs because they couldn't juggle the child care the virtual learning and taking care of their family all at the same time um, so they are the superheroes but we can't let some of those myths or misperceptions uh, change our mind so we have to go into any interview process open-minded I know of colleagues who had to disguise that they were pregnant because mm-hmm. they were worried that would they would be uh, falsely um, misunderstood. Because like Omni said, you can do it all. You figure out how to support um, the network that you need to support your um, family, whether it's a significant other or your extended family. So I have a high school principal, uh, Tasha Wilmatt. She's got five children mm-hmm. and she's done a fabulous job. And there was a, never at any time did I think that she couldn't do her job because she did it all, but she had an, an extended network. And so that's what you have to do. You just have to, you know, make sure you have that extended network and that support and you can get it done because we have women leaders who've been doing it for a long time. Mm-hmm. That's right. Carol, what do you have to say? Uh, totally agree with um, both what Deb said and Ami. Uh, I have the, you know, I am honored uh, to have two uh, amazing uh, young, uh, well, they're not young anymore, young men, <laughs> my sons, uh, but they were pretty young when I first um, became a, uh, you know, at the time it was a school leader, uh, two and four. Uh, so they've, you know, kind of have seen me through. And I will definitely say you have to lean on your uh, support network. But, you know, as Almy was saying, you also have to interview that community as well. And just to make sure that it is a fit. Um, I have experienced though, uh, some interviews where people probably should not have asked those questions. Um, I have experienced, you know, even in the superintendent's role, um, when I accepted this current position, and we see men doing this all the time, I, you know, it was in a different state. And my son, my youngest son was, is an athlete. Uh, he plays lacrosse. I did not want him to have to move. So mm-hmm. I was going back and forth. Uh, and there were a couple of questions, you know, around that. Uh, but, you know, my commitment has always been to this community. But my commitment, first and foremost, will always be with my sons. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made sure that I was at his games. Um, I made sure that, you know, I was even if it were, you know, distance, uh, that I was involved with, you know, what was happening 
with his school. Um, so I, I do believe that it can be done. And if there are any aspiring female soups that are listening and are like concerned, uh, please know that you have like me as evidence that it can be done. Um, but I don't want to uh, pretend that in every community that everyone is as welcoming as others. So I do feel that it's important for you to also really consider if, if this is a community that will support my whole self. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do believe that they're out there. You know, so when I went from Stanford to Montgomery County, uh, I, uh, you know, my kids were younger in school and all that. I guess it was like fifth grade, fourth grade, and not even kindergarten at the time, right? And I said to the board when they interviewed me, and then I made a very public um, statement about it as well, I said, I, I will not go out on Wednesday nights. Mm -hmm. And if you need me on a weekend, I need a month in advance because that's when we're going to soccer and base, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. I'd love to do weekend stuff, but you got to book me a month in advance. Yeah. And I didn't, I kind of actually made it up on the spot, um, but it did two things. One, people stuck to it. They totally respected it. And mm -hmm. a number of young administrators who had families said, thank you. You mm -hmm. now gave me space to do that to my school. I'm like, good, like put it out there. And I didn't realize just by saying it, look, this is what I got to do. You know, any other time you got me, whatever you want, but Wednesday nights, my family night, weekends, I need a month in advance for scheduling so that I can rearrange carpools. Mm -hmm. and, and I was, and I, I didn't have the guts to say that when I was in my first superintendency, but saying in my second one, and I always, I always coach people to do that. Um, so, so I've been noticing a dynamic that, you know, I'm sure that you all are going to say again, duh, Josh, we've known this for years, but particularly recently, the last year, it seems to me that superint female superintendents of color in particular are getting publicly beat up more than I've seen in the past. So, and some of these are in the big cities, Boston, Denver, mm -hmm. um, couple others, right? Some of the craziness about Sonia in, in Baltimore around being super like, and is this a real pattern, right? Do, do female superintendents get beat up more? And by, I, I say that, you know, figuratively, mm -hmm. really. Um, and is it happening more with, with women of color sitting in the top spot, right? Mm -hmm. or, is they, or was it just happenstances here? Like, what, what, what are you all seeing about that? Is, is that a real dynamic? And then, and then I also, I'm wondering, is there an extra layer of sort of protection or of, of armor you have to put on as a woman, in particular as a woman of color, when, when you're in the superintendency? So talk, talk a little bit about that. And maybe Carol and Ami start with that and then I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. That's a really great question. I wonder the way that COVID has really like highlighted you know, the disparities, whether it's healthcare or, um, you know, the disparate, disparities in terms of, of uh, who's most impacted. I wonder if this was always the case, <laughs> um, but everything is amplified, you know, due to COVID. And I, you know, all I know is my own experience um, as a African-American female superintendent now for nine years. There are things that I have experienced that, you know, my colleagues who don't look like me have not. Um, there are things that I might lead and get like certain resistance that some of my colleagues have not. I'll give a, a, a good example. I would say my, my predecessor is, is a white male uh, and there have been numerous occasions, you know, 
one, one example last year um, before COVID, has it just been a year? Right before COVID, one yeah. of our new principals resigned, like effective immediately. And the reaction by the community, it became, you know, like, what is the super, like, what did Carol Kelly not mm. do? You know, where there is public comments and people coming to board meetings and things of that nature. And the individuals on my cabinet team who've been, you know, in the district, you know, longer than I have that worked with the prior superintendent were just really shocked and amazed by, you know, just the kind of comparison um, between, you know, like that reaction with me versus with my predecessor. And I can go on and on and Mm -hmm. on and on and on. I think with COVID, you know, the emotions are just running high. Whatever decisions superintendents make right now, whether you say that we're going to be remote only or we're going to have students back in, whatever the decision is, like folk are not going to be happy Um, But I wonder, you know, like, do, I do think that everyone is seeing like folk trying to plan a protest at your house, or doing a petition to have you fired. But I, I just, I just feel that it has really been amplified, perhaps for uh, women and um, perhaps for women of color. I don't have any hard evidence um, because I live this on a daily basis, Mm -hmm. but it does seem interesting. For me, it's very sad because I haven't um, intentionally hired many women of color in the Brown Deer School District, and I've had to intervene on more occasions than I would like to admit Mm. to help disrupt the unethical and unprofessional conduct of parents or community members. um, Because you thought that were they coming after the folks who had had yes. more than they were after work. So you were actually seeing that as a, as a pattern in your, mm-hmm. in your system. Yeah. yeah, and I think I agree with, you know, Carol and Almi that everyone's emotions are very raw right now because of the pandemic for lots of different reasons. Um, people have been isolated. They've not been with their families. And so there's just so much of a part of um, the interpersonal relationships that we've missed out on for the last year. And I think it's very important as leaders that we have to step up and protect our women leaders when they get uh, chastised for making decisions that are not that are always in the best interest of kids but some people think um, otherwise yeah all right we're, we're gonna wrap up I have, a, I have a, a couple speed round questions that I want to throw at you so I'm, I'm very tempted to to ask you what advice you have for women who aspire to the superintendency so I want you to answer it but I also want you to give advice to men and school board members, right? Because part of it is like, if men are in charge, they've got to figure out how to make sure that we get women in charge, right? So it's so, so on one hand, we got to give advice to women about what they need to do. I want you to do, but I also want you to give advice to men about what they should do to get more women in, into these seats. So let, let me start there and then I'll do the other. So quickly, like what's, what's your advice, your advice to women who are aspiring and then your advice to men about how to promote more, more women? We'll, we'll go Ami, Carol, Deb. Well, I would say to the men, and I had, when I look at my mentors in education, they've all been men. Uh, men of color, which is very interesting mm. for me. So um, men of color have, lift, have lifted me up. And I am so incredibly grateful for the men who 
who really saw something in me and said, we're going we're gonna to lift Almi up and develop her to be a leader. And so I would say continue to do that. Lift women up. Give them a voice and um, encourage them to apply for jobs that maybe they're a little intimidated to apply for or may not have the confidence because you're just saying you can do this may mean the world to somebody. And I would say to women to um, be confident in, your, in, in the skill sets that you have and, and put yourself out there because you, you, know, you are confident and you can do this job. And um, so I would, I would say those two things. All right, Carol, what do, you, what do you have to say to men? What do you have to say to women? So to men, I would say make room, make space, you know, um, and to make, uh, create pathways um, to leadership. Just, you know, make space at the table uh, because there's always room. To the women, like Almi said, I would say to trust and believe in yourself and to, you know, uh, go after like what's in your heart and be authentic with that. Um, but most importantly, to believe in yourself and to trust that it can be done. You can do this and you are the person um, that we need. Our students need you uh, for these roles. So that would and be Authenticity is so key for any leader, right? Mm -hmm. If you can't be yourself, mm -hmm. then you can't do the job. Deb, what yeah. do you have to say? Yeah, I'm like Almi, I've also been mentored by several men. Dr. Keith Marty was also very instrumental in, I, as I made my journey to Brown Deer School District, and we're still in touch today. Uh, but I think it's important to um, let men that we're, we're here not to compete with you, but we're here to be your professional colleague. And that's really important. And so take advantage of those opportunities to ask those people that you trust the most, um, especially women leaders, if you have questions about things that you're not certain about. Because I've just got great relationships with all men and women in leadership roles, and I really value their uh, perspectives and input. And then for the women, I would say surround yourself with people who will help feel, elevate and make you feel positive about your work in education. People who you can trust to ask those really critical questions on, you know, do you think this is a good opportunity for me? Or how should I handle this situation? You've got to have those critical friends in your leadership circle. And I know I have been very blessed to have critical friends that have helped me along the way because the leadership journey is fraught with a lot of challenges, but also opportunities. Yeah, some of those peer mentors can be as important as some of the the, the mentor mentors, right? Or I don't know what the other word is. Okay, quick, quick speed round. Um, on this, what uh, I, I want to know two things, either the book you're reading or the show you're binge watching. And <laughs> I want to know what's the greatest joy you take from the superintendency? Because we talk so much about how hard it is and like you can't beat up, but it's also a joyous job in lots of ways. So what show are you binge watching or book you're reading? And, and in uh, one sentence, like what's the greatest joy you take from being a superintendent? We'll go Deb, Ami, Carol. Okay. Well, I binge watched The Crown on Netflix because <laughs> I just really? love that show and there are a whole bunch of other stuff. So that was really fun. Um, I'm reading a book called Why We're So Divided by Ezra Klein because in, in my role, in my journey to run for state superintendent of public construction here in Wisconsin, there's just lots of polarization and I want to try to um, see if I can be a bridge builder and bring people together. The joy I get being um, a woman leader is helping through my AASA work to 
network with other women and build them up, whether it's through the cohorts, these kind of presentations, because, and then run for president, because we've only had seven women presidents in AASA. And so we can do better than that. And Christy Wilson and I are the first back-to-back -back female presidents of AASA. So right. go for it. Shoot for the moon. All right, Ami. What do you got? Wow. Oh, gosh. I'm embarrassed to say what I binge watch. Oh. We all do it. Don't worry. It's fine. <laughs> I watched. Uh, lately, it was Anna Green Gables, okay? And my family oh, sleeps. They good. all leave the room when I'm watching Anna Green Gables or Hallmark Channel. They're, like, gone. Right. And I like it because I just don't have to think, and I just enjoy yep. it. Um, the book I'm reading is Linus Arriving. And um, I love um, any books by Jacqueline Devere. And um, just it's just, I really need to fight. I love spiritual books, books that draw me close, that help me find, uh, like, just ground me and who I am as a person and as a leader. Awesome. And the joy you take from being a, super, from being a superintendent? Oh, the, the joy is being able to honestly pour into my leadership team I love being able to create, and I, I just think that the leader, being a leader for me is, is the creative side of it, like creating programs, creating partnerships, and, um, and just really seeing how that impacts the ground. So I, that's the joy for me. Nice. Carol? My binge watching would be uh, on uh, OWN Network. It's called Queen Sugar. Uh, and I'm way too embarrassed to tell you the current book that I'm reading. I love romance novels, but I have to say that in the morning, similar to Ami, um, the you version, you know, there are like these short devotionals that like yeah. really ground me um, in the morning. They're really great. And the joy of serving uh, in the superintendency, it goes back to, um, you know, I just have like this, this quest for social justice and the opportunity to um, use like my role as a mechanism to uh, try to um, get to that utopia of like living in a socially just uh, uh, country. So that would be the joy for me. That's great, that's fabulous. Well, Deborah Kerr, Amelia Beta, and Carol Kelly, I wanna thank you for being on this episode of our AASA and PDK 2020 decennial survey podcast series. Um, I really appreciate the insight you've given into leadership as a woman and superintendency in general and just kind of helping people understand what it um, what, what it's all about. So I am Josh Starr. It's been a pleasure to be with you all for this last hour or so. Um, make sure you take a look at the decennial survey. Uh, follow us online. Follow me on Twitter. And um, I hope everybody has a great day. So thank you all for joining us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the ASA PDK Decennial Podcast Series. If you would like to purchase a copy of the AASA Decennial Report, please access links.aasa.org slash decennial for more information.